there's so much in life that we can tap into and that we can discover and talk about. You know, and uh, I find that the more I talk to other people, the more I write, the more I study and think, the more I learn. You know, and logotherapy has really opened the door for us to explore life in its limitless wisdom that we can find in just being open, open to life. And that is really what I want to talk about, this openness, um, which, um, as uh, Batya defined it, is um, an intuitive receptiveness towards the world, um, that we are open uh, for a world to make an impact on us. In fact, we are reaching out to that world for a sense of connection and meaning. And as such, our receptiveness is one of the prime features uh, of our humanness. And how are we to really understand it? This is what we're going to talk about today. And I just want you to start with this little experiment. Um, listen to me. Are you really hearing me? Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? Does it impact you? Does it provoke your thoughts? Um, do you want to respond to it? Do you want to share your thoughts with me and discuss together what is meaningful about our receptivity? And immediately, we have an experiential proof of our receptivity as human beings that, that is distinctively different from the kind of intuitive in, or instinctive intunement with its world that the animal has. We can think about, we can contemplate, and we've got those unique human characteristics not found in the animal world. And that is why Frankl defined us as open vessels. We are open to the world. We can be spoken to in a way that calls forth a response that is to make sense, that is to find meaning, that is to find direction, which is not the kind of intuitive uh, intuitiveness that an animal has with its world. It's really in a closed system. And in a sense, you know, I was thinking about this. In a sense, the, uh, the attachment bonds that an animal forms, because you see that a young animal um, reaches out to its mother for security and, and safety, and the mother has a protective in, uh, instinctive urge um, to look after and protect her young. But in uh, us as human beings, um, this, this kind of what Frankl called a kind of basic trust in being, that you know you're open actually and waiting to be responded to and to connect with and interact with. And on a lower level, this is also true of the animal, but in the human uh, sphere, it, it is vastly and profoundly different. I don't know if you've seen a film that I watched last night on Hot um, called Gorillas in the Mist. Um, it's about this um, wonderful uh, environmentalist that went to protect a, a gorilla life and the gorillas were getting extinct. And she did a great work in preserving the species. But, you know, there was a connection between her and these animals. They accepted her and even touched her and she could touch them and look into their eyes. And, you know, it just so struck me that the eyes of the animal 
uh, is so different from the eyes of a human being. You know, we've just been blessed with, with a grandson and he's um, 10 weeks old. And I wish I could show you a picture of the child's eyes. There is such intelligence in it, such an extra awareness that you don't see in the kind of blank look that an animal has. However attached it is to you, it cannot comprehend that attachment. The animal can't uh, do other than be just instinctively tuned uh, to um, its environment for its needs. And it's very dependent upon us also to look after it. I mean, this is actually our human commission to reach out to and care for our environment and care for our animals. Uh, this is a most wonderful mission in life. And actually up to all of us not to be abusers of animals or a des destroyer of our planet. This is part of our responsibility. But that responsibility, um, the animal does not have. And this is what you see in the eye of a eyes of a newborn infant. Such an openness, a receptivity, but a receptivity of an intelligent kind that is actually interpreting its basic needs for survival in a meaningful way, which is not what the animal does. And, you know, a child experiences love. It experiences this meaningful connection to a significant other in the way it is being looked after, in the way if it, it, it is fed, and responded to, kept warm, cuddled, understood for its little cues. Um, all of those are basic needs, but the child interprets those needs as um, a way to connect to um, the significant other. And that is why um, love and a real recognition of the of the uniqueness and worth of this new human being that has come into the world um, is the basis of optimal uh, personality and spiritual and emotional development in the child. It, it is a springboard for a greater discovery of meaning in life um, which the child gathers in information in terms of becoming more and more of who he and she, or she potentially is and can be. And as Frankl said, what, we, uh, what man is, he is not yet, but ought to be and should become. And there it is, the whole kind of um, nature of our receptivity. We want to know who we are, what our life is about. We want to make those kind of connections that will come back to us in terms of affirmation um, of our inherent dignity and worth, who we are. But we want to be challenged and inspired to grow, to grow in grasp and understanding um, in a way that makes us more and more of what we ought to be. And there's this ought to be that the animal, of course, um, does not experience. A consciousness um, uh, that is a consciousness of um, a conscientious, conscientious grasp of that I am being called, that they are yardsticks to my behavior that certain behaviors um, are destructive and others are enhancing and, 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 and is, is full of blessing and, and comes back to me in terms of affirmation. Um, so it's, it's this outreach from a receptive um, uh, readiness to enter into life in, or to do what? To find your place in the world. And in finding that place, to start occupying it, to possess your space, to fulfill whatever unique 
calling and mission you are given within your circumstances in, in, and in your uh, particular um, life. And uh, which, which is a core to what? Uh, to actually, you know, I was thinking about it, and isn't this an exciting and an exciting thought that we have actually been given the commission to refine um, the, the, the intuitive or the instinctive perceptions of the animal or the, the you know, the inherent outreach for survival that we are to lift it up onto the human plane where what the lion will lie next to the lamb i mean the fear that the animal um, experiences when its its existence is threatened and the aggression that it shows in order to protect itself um, would also be gone in terms of of this kind of serenity of being which is actually a human commission because if you develop to the point of really feeling this is me this is who i am this is what my life is about this is what i want to be this is what i strive for this is what i work towards and i've got a commission to repair the world but that change has to happen with me. And you know, and here I want to, us to talk about what begins to be barriers to receptivity, to this, um, what Frankel calls and what uh, Didasson nicely highlighted in our last discussion, that uh, um, the um, pre-moral and um, pre-ontological um, understanding, self-understanding, to come back to that spontaneity of being, that basic trust in life, which is what? Which is eventually that feeling, I am a person of worth and dignity. This is my calling, to secure that worth and to live up to that dignity by doing what? By being responsible my freedom is one of responsibility it's an answer to a call that comes through to me and almost like the creation story where it says adam where are you come out of your hiding of your problems of your shame of your hiding away and take your place in life you have a commission the whole world is dependent on where you will eventually be my word and to know that i have that part in the biggest scheme of things however however part may seem to be it's profoundly important because as frankel said we are irreplaceably in a position meant only for us and if we're not there it remains empty and it doesn't contribute to the whole it doesn't become part of the whole the whole doesn't carry it forward we are left behind and we miss out on and this is exactly the kind of challenge that logotherapy offers in its call to us to become receptive to the call to responsibility the call made upon our lives and you know we can explore what frankel then called um, the unconscious god in us our intuitive knowing that we are connected to more than just what we can possibly comprehend where there is a more there's a beyond there's a, there's a transcendent there is a over and above there's a, a a future that we always are progressing into never arriving because the wisdom is so great the uh, the limitlessness of the meaning on the dimension of superhuman um transcendent being is absolutely 
the horizons are limitless. In fact, it goes right through death, which is conquered through the way we live, into everlasting life. Now, that, of course, is not what has been given to the animal, but it's been given to us. And you know the Jewish saying of tikkun olam, that we are repairers of the world, is a very, very true saying. Coming back to what Frankl calls the unconscious God. Oh man, you know, it's what we open up in our clients. You know, it's not um, a preaching um, about God. It's, it's actually a fostering of growth towards um, a wholeness of being that is encapsulated in a whole that is much greater than we are. And it doesn't really matter at what level we, we interact with our client and whether we speak of the transcendent or not. We actually just want them to be in the moment with us, connecting in a way where there are no barriers. Because now, think of this second experiment that I just want you to consider. Um, are you really listening to me? Can you really hear me? Do you really understand me? Are you here? with me now or somewhere distracted away from this moment be it through fears through uh, you know through worries through anxiety are you listening to me through layers and barriers of, of misperception and 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 um misinformation ideas that you have about yourself and life because you have experienced mm -hmm. hurtful harmful experiences and you know uh, here is where frankl says um the whole process must start with us because none of us have not been subjected to the distress of things going wrong um, and, you know, if we just see the coronavirus out there, the state of our world, and, you know, we can so easily want to withdraw from the world. We, you know, are being too frightened to enter into it. And this is what happens with, with children who experience neglect and abuse because their fundamental worth is being attacked. And then they are forced into what Frankl calls the subhuman levels of um, being, which is what? Which is the kind of fear that the animal too has. Um, you know, it either has, you know, that fight flight syndrome is so typical of the animal. It flees from danger or it fights in order to protect itself. And if this is what earmarks our behavior, something is radically wrong. In the animal, it is right. But in our case, it is wrong. Um, and it, because what? It, it, it blankets who we are. Um, it, uh, and, and let us just think, um, you know, I made a list of um, the fight flight syndrome in human behavior and it's quite it's quite waiting to see and you know i suppose you can you can add onto this list but the let's look at the outflow of the fight syndrome because you know it's it's always uh, um, it's almost to me that the will to power is is more basic than um, the will to pleasure um, uh, that this instinctive, what, what, what Freud called the aggression that is aroused when we are threatened, um, that, that give rise to what we can see as an outflow what, of what becomes a will to power, a will to get on top of difficulties, not dealing with them, you're too frightened to do that, but uh, it's an effort 
at control over things that you feel are beyond your control. Um, think about it. You know, Frankl spoke about hyperintention. I think that's very much part of an outflow of the will to power. And, and the, the, the um, mental illnesses associated with that, obsessive compulsive neurosis, you know, that can even show in ordinary behavior um, with uh, people we describe as control freaks, okay? Or aggressive self-assertiveness, you know, competitiveness, ambitious ambition. Um, and then underlying that, resentment, hostility, suspicion, distrust, a hardening of heart, and, you know, the self-aggrandizement, you know, uh, having to lift yourself up as superior to others because you really fear that you are not, um, uh, you don't have that much worse and that you are actually, in, you feel that you are inferior. So it's a, it's a kind of opposite reaction to hide it. Or think about dogmatism and fanaticism. You know that you, you hold fast to a specific uh, point of view. You're inflexible, you're open to learning, you want to enforce your opinion on others and you tell them what to do. And Frankl said that this is such a threat to um, a real meaningful unfolding of who you ought to be. And when you have this kind of fanatical and dogmatic points of view, and where you, it's always one against the other. It's a conflict mode of existence. And you know, think of, of mental illnesses like paranoid schizophrenia. You know, you, you see everybody as your enemy. Um, and in mental illness, um, you have delusions of persecution. And to, 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 uh, to counteract that, you have delusions of grandeur. And, you know, um, and also in just downright wicked behavior, you see it in the behavior of tyrants and, um, and autocrats and dictators. So, and uh, what Frankl said, an outflow of the existential vacuum where there's a lack of real anchor and purpose in life is, um, first of all, aggression, violence. But then <clears throat> think about the flight syndrome, which I think is the world to pleasure because, you know, it can start with kind of hyper-reflection and disturbances like anxiety, neurosis, panic attacks, mood swings like the bipolar kind of manic depressive psychosis or endogenous depression or feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and um, fearfulness, insecurity, uncertainty, ambivalence, confusion, poverty, cowardice, inferiority feelings and a withdrawal from the world, anticipatory anxiety, you know, worrying about the future. Um, and um, then as a compensation, a pursuit of happiness, a pursuit of success and the effects of meaning. I've got to, I want to feel good. So I can take my, in my recourse to, to uh, uh, sexual indulgence or, um, or, or uh, I can become a love addict um, or drugs and alcoholism. Everything that can just give me a feeling of, I'm all right, Jack, I'm all right. How sad. Um, and how um, and, uh, an aberration of meaning that really is. And, you know, uh, as a student of Frankl, he made this so clear to us um, that, you know, the kind of judgmentalism, dogmatism, fanaticism, uh, all the way to kind of dictatorships, um, we are to resist and confront. Um, but on the other side, the will to pleasure is, is something softer. It's not as hard. You know, I, I feel there, there's almost more chance of reaching through to such a person 
than the one that's become hardened with the self-conceit. Um, you know, even in my training of students, I've found that those who are just so hungry for meaning, you know, they, they might not have had the academic background and the know-how and the professionalism uh, of, for example, a qualified clinical psychologist that, you know, have really been trained to sit in the seat of authority. I have the answers. You are the problem. I'll solve you. Gosh, uh, and I always found that a simple African woman coming from a rural area with, with little to no education, but, you know, having worked herself up and, and having a government job and finding out about and coming to us, and when she heard what it's about, she said, I want to go all the way. Do you know that I took her all the way? to the very last uh, uh, level of training. I took her all the way against what was the requirements then when I still uh, were, uh, when I was still under the umbrella of the Victor Frankl uh, Institute of Logotherapy in the States and getting their certificates. And you know, very clearly the last diplomat um, uh, course could only be entered by professionals. And I, I made my case with them. I said, I'm sorry, this woman can do tremendous uh, uh, good. And, I, and, and you know what? She became such a logotherapist in her environment that um, I got reports of gratitude from, um, from the people that she worked with um, in the phenomenal success she was having, especially with um, uh, HIV and AIDS orphaned children that that uh, you know her, her environment was ravaged by HIV and AIDS okay and that is the area in which she worked and she was terrific in comparison to the clinical psychologist that had to kind of break down what they have been uh, inculcated to believe that you can do step one, step two, or this is how it is, and this is how the person is, and this is how you diagnose and put them into boxes. Well, it has to break down. You sit in the seat um, where you listen to the authority and the know-how of your client who knows more about his or her life than you can ever know. And it's to tune into how life is interacting with that client, which makes you a logotherapist. And if you can transmit to that client the, 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 the warmth, the unconditional positive regard, um, I'm here for you. I'm in your moment, in your moment, not mine, yours. I'm here for you. And this is why, you know, one can really uh, uh, do that experiment and saying, am I really listening or am I listening through barriers um, that I, you know, I hear, but I can't quite hear, you know, I'm grasping, but I can't quite see, um, you know, like a Job that had to go through a lot of experiences until he said, well, I, First of all, I just heard with the hearing of an ear, but you know, it was secondhand. But now my eyes see, I understand. And you know, so it's it's uh, well to 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 actually encourage this kind of um, bringing your mind back to rock bottom, to rock bottom of a basic trust in life. This is who you are. You are fundamentally related to the one that is calling you, life that is calling you and is waiting for you to step into and interact with because you have an irreplaceable role to play. Life is waiting for you. And well, that kind of receptivity, the openness of being. And, and it's so flexible, you know, it's so, ah, oh, it, it, it is really a, a, a growth in wisdom and understanding that is kind of never ending. And that's why 
I, I love Viktor Frankl so much. He traveled the world until he was 90 at teaching and what have you. And he died with a book, The um, Man's Search for Ultimate Meaning, on his breast. Okay. Um, and where he said, we are only fully ourselves on the very last day of our lives. Only then have we accomplished what we have been sent to do. So questions, discussions, okay? Uh, thank you so much for your for your talk. Uh, I really appreciate you it. must please speak up, Mark. Mark, you know I'm still sitting with this little laptop, and its sound is not so good. Is that is that better? Can you hear me? Yes, better. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being here. That was a, a wonderful talk. It ties together a lot of what we've been doing all the past months. Um, I, I had a question for you about. We, we are reading um, Man's Search for Ultimate Meaning, and that was one of the last things that you mentioned. Um, when you, in your experience or in your work, um, do you find that all people have that desire, that reach for ultimate meaning, or do you find that it's more in the later stages in life that people really grasp onto or look for some ultimate meaning? Um, and how, how do you define that for them? Mark, please um, try and join um, our the, the next meeting that Batya has um, arranged uh, with her students for me, um, where the topic will be, when does a life task become a mission? Mm. Um, because it's exactly what you there so rightly say. Uh, it's a developmental mm. task. It's a... Uh, and that's why it's so necessary to meet a person where they are. You can't bring, even you look at a baby, you can't ask him to stand up when he's still not able to walk, okay? Um, we have to be sensitive to where the person is. And Frankl very clearly said, and you know, here was his provocative statements, that even an atheist and an agnostic can be a very good logotherapist. Why? Only as long as the orientation is towards helping others and finding a meaning in their lives, whether they see that meaning as before a, a, their own conscience or a, just this decent thing to do, uh, or societal yardsticks, it doesn't matter, or, you know, so many people have uh, all kinds of concepts of uh, of the transcendent, you know, um, and all sorts of names for it. But we, we don't go there, uh, we go with the client where they are. And uh, so Frankl said about this, that um, those who have not broken through to the full perception of who it is that is actually, um, whose voice is actually filtering through their own consciousness, conscience of what I should or what I should not do, or what the requirement in a particular situation is, when they recognize that voice as a divine voice. Um, and he said, you know, it's just like they've stopped short of the ultimate. It doesn't in any way cancel out what they have achieved and the meaning of their lives. He said, God is greater than what we make of him in different denominations or, you know, different religious views. Oh, my goodness. He said, please, you cannot explain God. You can only pray to him. Um, you only have this reverent attitude towards life and what is life enhancing and you, 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 you tune off from and take a stand against what is destructive and, and what is hurtful and that's it, that's the path into um, that kind of everlasting life ongoing that ever was and ever is and ever will be. <laughs> so much greater than we are. So that's what he said. But he also said that, of course, 
Uh, if you do break through to a genuine faith, I'm not talking about a dogmatic faith or a, a, a religious persuasion. I'm talking about a true sense of connectedness with. Oh boy, you know, if you get that, your life is flooded with meaning. Uh, you, you, you perceive things um, that otherwise you don't perceive. You're so aware. You know, even a, 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 um, a postmodern psychoanalyst, um, uh, James Hillman, said this, um, into psychology must once again come the concept of providence because we are saved every day by more than ourselves. And, you know, I'm interviewing a Holocaust survivor who was um, a non-religious person, totally non-religious. But she said, you know, Somebody watched over us. She was so aware of it. Like when she was brought before the gas chamber with her mother and they were going to be pushed into the gas chamber and the gas stopped working. And many incidences like that, she recalled, she said, I was saved. I survived because I have a responsibility. Um, and, you know, that responsibility is never ousted itself in a final faith in God. No. Um, when she went back to, um, she spent 40 years in preparation to going back to Auschwitz and to stand in the gas chambers and, and she could weep there. And this was her triumph. They could not destroy my humanity. And, you know, anybody that reaches through to human greatness in that way, I don't care whether they believe in God or not. You know, God is greater than, than our belief in him. Okay. Right. Oy. Thank oh, you, Saria. Yes. <laughs> I have a question. Um, yes. Okay. You talked about the subhuman existence. And I uh, wonder what you have to say about how, because you're human, and because you have that higher capacity and higher destiny and, and conscience, then you're not going to be able to sink just to the level of an animal. So it's not no. just subhuman to the animal level, it's, it's, it's below the animal level because of who I, you are as a human being. Yeah, I'm so glad you raised that because many um, students, when we talk about the subhuman levels of existence, seem to uh, say, oh, well, what does that mean? Have I become an animal? No. Uh, you know, exactly like I said, we interpret as human beings um, our existence. And, you know, the animal is not able to, to, to have a conflict of emotions, to feel anguish. Uh, and, 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 you know, to feel despair um, uh, or suffer depression. These are all human characteristics. All that Frankl meant with that was that we, that we were not on the human uh, level where we are, and, you know, even the human level, he said, could be sealed by dogmatism so that we, you know, do not really reach out uh, to the openness beyond that. Um, but he only meant that we were then operating in a less um, uh, uh, um, empowered way than we can as human beings. That is the only difference. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's a um, correlation with the animal world, like I realized and pointed out to you, was this fight-flight syndrome. Um, that the animal has, but in the human, that fight-flight syndrome is immensely complex. There's myriads of ways in which you can express hostility or anxiety. Myriads of ways. So that doesn't make you um, uh, not a human being. When you, you, It makes you a suffering human being, but a suffering not of a kind where you are open to the meaning of the suffering because you know and and that's the last talk i'm going to give um uh, to your uh, students um is that meaning is not always positive it's not positive psychology in fact it is finding meaning in the tragic triad of life which is pain and um, 
death and guilt. And he said, like Frankel said, no one of us can say we'll never die, never have a problem, and never make a mistake. These are the very challenges of rising to human growth. Okay, but so, but there are people that 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 do not find meaning in suffering, and that's that's our challenge to help them find meaning in their suffering and to to find them where they got lost in their anxieties, in their hostilities. Um, we have to find the person that is there, uh, caught and imprisoned and enclosed and restricted by these subhuman ways of existence. Thank yeah. you. Okay, anybody else? Yeah. Have any questions? Now's your chance. Wait, wait, just a minute. Oh, Nelson, you wanted yeah. to say something? Yeah, I thank you, uh, uh, Terry. It was, as Mark said, to help us weave together lots of loose ends that, uh, that I had. Uh, Logotherapy. One thing that came to, to my mind uh, as we were talking about uh, we are saved every day by a providence we don't understand. And that reminds me of a statement of St. Augustine uh, to somebody who wrote to him, now I understand God. And he wrote back, if you understand, it's not God. So that's the ultimate transcendence. Wonderful, that's so true. Yeah. So, uh, but you're Oh, this is, yeah, you know, um, I, I, yes. I so love what you're saying because, you know, this is exactly what Frankl then described as one of the closures of our minds when we try and explain God, when we try and explain our existence, um, you know, uh, and say this is who we are, you know, when we, we fall trapped to what he called reductionistic thinking. We're making ourselves less than we are when we actually close the door to realize that, you know, uh, it's it, uh, what we're tapping into, what we've been drawn towards, like Frankl said, it's like, we're like iron filings in a magnetic field that is being drawn to, to connect to something that is so life-giving that it, it's tremendous. You know, um, uh, uh, we have had students who are neurologists and um, who are uh, making great impact in showing how a meaning orientation um, has such profound healing effects on the most, you know, uh, seemingly hopeless neurological conditions. Um, the power of our of our right thinking and of our vibrant and inspired way of living has such an effect on our immune system. So, you know, this is it, and, and even, and that's just on our bodies. I, I, I believe we really will be kind of resurrected from the grave through a grass be, beyond the grave. <laughs> I really believe that we, this is an ongoing life. It's so, you know, um, I have also worked with, with people who are dying, and many of our students have done hospice work, and there's no doubt about it. People enter into death like I walk through a valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow that will be dispelled. But um, so it, it, uh, you're saying that um, that we don't. Please, please don't be uh, uh, come to a point of arrival. I've got it. I understand. Wait, you know, my understanding gets blown to bits time and time again. What I understood yesterday, I see in a totally new light today, right? Uh, be open, be open, be open to learn. Be flexible, be receptive. Don't close your minds. Yeah. And I think um, this relates to, to what uh, you said in the beginning, logos is deeper than logic. Um, yes. That, uh, yeah, that uh, actually it's the heart that understands and not our mind. Uh, that's that's our intuitive inherent capacity to go beyond the mind. 
because of our uh, inherent connectedness to the transcendent and uh, and uh, this pre pre-reflexive ontological self-understanding has to do exactly with that intuitive capacity because it's before thinking, it's before trying so hard to understand with our mind in a closed way that we have it all, we got it all. It's, uh, it's the heart that can understand. Uh, and as uh, Franco always cites uh, Pascal about it, that the heart has its reasons, which reason cannot understand. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we also have in Proverbs this saying, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. <laughs> you know, uh, there it says, um, you know, not to live on emotions. And Frankel also then spoke about refined emotions, what you're talking about. Um, a heart that has, is uh, purified um, from um, its anxiety, from its uh, emotional turmoil um, and emotional confusion and emotional hurt and all the, 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 then, you know, the emotions use the mind intelligently to protect itself. Um, whereas, um, you know, um, uh, what, what logotherapy and what you're talking about um, is uh, the emotions that uh, Frankel called uh, spiritual emotions, um, uh, feelings that are so perceptive uh, that goes beyond uh, the understanding and the logos uh, and the rationality of the mind. Hello. But you know what, Dida? I, I would love you, actually, you know, you did a, a magnificent work. Uh, I, I wish you would publish your doctorate as a book because um, what I can remember that so impacted upon um, my thinking when I uh, uh, read it and when you told me uh, what you were actually after um, is that it, it ended in a refined understanding, in a rationality that is such a grasp that goes beyond intellectualism. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, that, that Frankel, when he says we, we, uh, when we are meaning directed, we, we function as a whole. Our hearts yeah, and minds are, 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 are um, absolutely one. The one serves the other. The feeling evokes, the, the intuitive feeling evokes thoughts. And the thoughts impact on how we are to understand. So, you know, we, 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 um, we function as a whole. And the conflict, um, uh, you also last time, that the conflict is then dissolved. Um, and, you know, the resolution is meaning. That's yeah. the resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, indeed, my doctorate was called uh, Holistic Perception. Holistic <laughs> Perception, there holistic. you go. Yes. And, and what's the other term you used about something about reflective what? Uh, radical reflexivity. That, oh, uh, radical reflexivity. Please, you should actually... Set up a Zoom meeting that we can listen to those concepts of yours because they're very thought-provoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we touched upon that wholeness in the last conversation that you were part of. Uh, in the end, we touched upon that, that with the, with the intuition, with our conscience, we actually come to wholeness. So there is not... Uh, arguments of uh, from this side you can see like that from the other side you can see like that and one against the other which is all the philosophical different views that they are working with the minds you cut through all the the arguments of the mind and you jump a dimension <coughs> actually you make a leap of faith actually to another dimension and uh, i think that is uh, <coughs> it is also when you what you talked about, uh, getting back the affirmation from life, 
Uh, Buber has, uh, by the way, Frankl took it from Buber that life is to be called. And yeah. uh, life is to be called. And when we answer responsibly, uh, Buber says we get back uh, the heaven's grain of being of who we are. Yes. Yeah. So we are really affirmed. We are really affirmed in our being. Yeah. You just provoked another thought in me. You know, when Frankel said there is only one truth, which of yeah. course in the end will unite us all. But um, we must be very careful to say that we've got that truth. And as I said, um, receptivity is an openness to learn. And um, the thing is, when we are open to learn, we're also open to learn from one another. And then the, the, the you know, because there's no better way of learning than sharing. Um, that is why, you know, and yes, you what, they always learn in pairs, um, you know, in, to, in conversation. Um, and, and, and this, oh, if only our government can get to this point where we will be listening to each other and to different points of view without, you know, without wanting to, to mudsling the other and, and you know, this, this uh, one against the other, but where you, where you can learn from somebody that has a different point of view from your own. And that kind of openness to how somebody else understands his world, um, uh, you know, gives you the the opportunity to transmit what you think. And in the discussion, in the search for, from our different perspectives, for um, what is, like Frankel said, what the world needs in order not to destroy itself, is to find a common will to common meaning. And, you know, even if we can just work together with certain issues, we don't have to work together with the entire whole, but, you know, learn to work together and respectfully interact with each other and listen to one another. Then, then the conflict of for and against also falls away. It still isn't the complete unity that we'll get in the end, but it's a way towards it. Yeah. Thank you for that thought. Yeah. Yeah. You see, I wouldn't have thought it if you didn't speak to me. <laughs> what? How? I wouldn't have thought the thought if you didn't provoke it. <laughs> well, well, that's uh, indeed that's the power of the real dialogue. Yes. That's the power oh, the of the dialogue. Yeah, the I and thou dialogue, mm -hmm. but with listening to the transcendence while talking keeping our receptivity. I wanted to, to say another short remark about uh, your comparison with the animals, that it's very interesting that uh, Franco calls our, um, our conscience uh, an ethical instinct. So he uses the word instinct, which actually belongs to the animal world, but what he means by that is that it is a, an unmediated way of knowing uh, uh, between good and evil that is inherent in us. But he uses the word instinct and then he says it's not like in the animal world. It's uh, our intuitive capacity, but it's very beautiful because it's like um, from the subhuman, we go and develop to the rational uh, human being. Uh, what he calls, um, what is it called? Um, I forget the name. Uh, um, rational man, I forget the name. Uh, and I will come back as as opposed to the suffering man, the rational oh, man. Yes, um, yeah, um, and, um, the, not the Homo sapiens, the Homo, yes, uh, the sufferer. I've also forgotten the name. Yeah, well, anyway. Homopartians, homopartians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from that uh, state of, of development of rationality from the animals, we come to another uh, level of development, which is the intuition, which yeah. can see the whole, that, that only can see the whole. 
And so it's but beautiful. You know what, um, Dido? Um, I was just thinking, you know, um, uh, the psalmist says, um, uh, um, um, in the mouths of uh, sucklings and, and um, infants, you have deposited wisdom um, to silence foe and avenger. Um, and that, you know, sometimes a child has an intuitive understanding of something that 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 really it, it it shocks you and surprises you and a, a child can say something that you have not comprehended um, and you know I I, of, I often wonder that if we could even get into the mind of an animal we would we might be very surprised at at what what riches are there in animal perceptions that we as humans have kind of been cut off from because we're so rational um, that there's something beautiful about um, instinct um, uh, in in human beings uh, that instinct is to be refined like you said into uh, compassion and um, intuitive understanding um, but um, uh, uh, it, it, there's something very unspoiled about, don't you love a dog that loves you? Oh my goodness, you, you've not seen such devotion. It's got no, it doesn't harbor aggression. It doesn't bear a grudge. I want to have that kind of an instinct. <laughs> really, it's beautiful. And the same with, uh, to go into the life of the infant or into the life of the mentally disturbed, boy, there are riches there to be found that, that goes beyond our, rational understanding yeah yeah and give yeah, us that, comprehension that, comprehension yeah 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 that is to live in the heart because what takes us out of the heart of our center is either fear or doubt yeah. and what you what you said yeah. about the emotions those emotions the lower emotions uh, indeed they present to us themselves to us as truth just like our thoughts but they belong to the psyche level, not to the noetic uh, dimension. Yeah. The noetic dimension, what we call the heart, is completely different from what we call the emotions. Yeah. These are high sentiments yeah. of yeah, love, exactly. justice, etc. Yeah, exactly. 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 I will write my laws in the inward parts on the tables of the heart. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. 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 All right. I think that uh, if if no one, anyone has any other questions, uh, you can anyway mute yourself uh, if you're not speaking. Anyone has any other questions, then uh, let me know. And otherwise, uh, I, yeah, I have a question. You can always yeah, ask questions afterwards too. You know, um, yeah. Let's um, make one one more question. One more question, Adam. Well, I have a question and a comment, and. Um, so I'll start with a comment and then I'll lead into the question. Um, the comment that I just wanted to to share in the spirit of rep, uh, re receptivity and uh, being open to learn and the dialogue and conversation, I just wanted to, I, I sit in many different circles and uh, uh, one of the circles I sit in is I, I learn from a lot of uh, uh, indigenous people. And it's really interesting, the perspective and the awareness and the respect that comes for the animal realm. And the animal realm isn't actually seen as a separate um, entity. It's almost as if it's, a, it's speaking and, and giving the direct me messages from creator, from God. Mm. So looking to... Uh, for example, like looking to the eagle, it uh, it shows the wisdom of uh, having vision, and it's just a manifestation of the creator. Wow. So I think there's something really beautiful about that that awareness and that perspective because it doesn't it doesn't put ourselves like we're better than, exactly. but which, when we put ourselves as better than, it's easier to uh, destroy because we think we're disconnected from a whole. So I wanted just to add that I think it's an important perspective to have because 
it, it uh, when we see that holistic, uh, interconnected, interdependent part, where there's more care, there's more receptivity. So that's um, that's what that that's the comment I wanted to, to make. And the other one is like a completely different question. Well, can <laughs> I just first to uh, respond to that, Adam? Yeah. Let me first just respond to the first what you said. You can't be more right. Um, you know, uh, here is the kind of openness to to learn from so many different sources and unspoiled sources. And there's something so so, oh, so very much to learn um, from cultures that are so different from ours and that we tend to look down upon because uh, it doesn't lack the uh, infrastructure, the uh, intellectualism and, you know, the know-how that we have. And you know what? So often this intellectualism and know-how, like I've said, becomes barriers to really just experience someone and what they have to give. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think what you are experiencing um, is something very unique and also needs to be uh, written up and brought to notice. You know, we have to break down the barriers of um, of pride and prejudice, really, um, and, and, and be open to our worlds and, and open to others and open to everything because every, in everything is deposited such rich meanings which we just cut ourselves off from being so judgmental. So thank you for that. What's your second um, comment? Um. The second comment is um, has to do with uh, the the first thing you were speaking of when we were talking about receptivity, and um, and one of the barriers that keep people from that would be uh, their their illusions of of uh, um, like grandeur and their there's like self devaluation and they're putting up a they're trying to make themselves very very big to help themselves feel better about themselves. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I, I work with someone, not on a professional level, but I mentor a young man and he's 13. And uh, he, um, he has these, these um, uh, puts off this, this front of knowing everything to keep and, and it's so it's blocking the receptivity from from the meaning to come through so i'm curious as to uh, your thoughts on on ways to get through that um that grandioseness of yeah. you know um your in tuneness with this um a person that you're talking about is the most important thing um and um, if I think of um, uh, situations uh, similar to that in my own experience, um, I, I, I love the approach of humor, you know, um, to not uh, attack or criticize or judge or try and change um, those uh, grandiose perceptions or that front of um, efficacy. But um, uh, I find that a kind of um, funny things come to mind and that I challenge the client with um, the, um, you know, especially when they attack, because they, they, they usually attack you and um, attack your perceptions. And actually it's a way of saying, how much can you stand? Um, you know, can I really trust you? And my um, light uh, dealing with the very light dealing, I deal very lightly with these uh, kind of ominous issues. Um, I almost let them pass, but if I if I um, confront them, I do it in a humorous way, almost like I'm actually transmitting. You know what? You don't fool me. I do it in a good way. 
um, I know you there behind all the fronts that you're putting in. I'm interested in you behind the fronts. And gosh, I can admire some of those fronts, how good you are at it. Wow, you know, you really impress me. You really succeed in making me feel little. Now look what you did to me. I feel quite humiliated over here. Well, are you good at what you do? But um, I, uh, that's, not, that's not you. Um, I don't for a minute think that this is you. You're much more than what you're putting up. Uh, uh, you know, the front putting up. Uh, there's, there's much more to you than this. It's this kind of um, provocative face um, in such a client that breaks down those barriers. Um, I've had such experiences and that the person in the end so relaxes into uh, an acknowledgement of you, but in an acknowledgement of, well, I like you. I like what you did to me. Thank you. I like this process. Um, and I'm, you know, you know, I'm done with it. I'm, you know, I don't have to put up these smoke screens anymore.